Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. The book of Galatians is a gospel clarifying letter that unpacks the richness and completeness of what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. It clearly defines what the gospel is and is not for its readers. It helps us realize the depths of God's love for us in a life of relationship and obedience to Him in His power. Please continue listening for today's message. The reading this evening comes from Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ben. Hello, everyone. My name is Ian, for those of you who don't know me, and it is good to have you with us this evening. We are in Galatians. We have been since the beginning of the year, and it is good to continue that journey this this evening. And I know that many of you have been on holiday or away for um, back home during varsity um, holidays, and we we kind of just finished a, a three-week mini-series in the book of Galatians on Christian freedom and how we are called to freedom. We've been set free for freedom's sake and how we are called to use that freedom to love and serve one another, not serve ourselves. It's been a great three-week journey. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to go and catch up, to listen. And so much of this evening is built on the foundation of the previous three weeks. And, And as we continue, it's a part of Paul's argument in, in dealing with the problems that are going on in the Church of Galatia. And so I would encourage you, if you missed it, to go back and have a listen to the last three weeks as we spoke to Christian Freedom. And, and last week, Josh kind of closed off that little mini-series on Christian Freedom, and there's a, a transition taking place now from, from this call to, to live in the freedom that Christ has won for us into how we live in the freedom that Christ is calling us to, how we love the way that He's calling us to love, and that transition is taking place this evening in the text we just read. And um, the reason why this is so important, and, and Josh kind of spoke to this a little bit last week, is that we have very complex human desires, that human desires are quite complicated, they're not simple. Um, we can simultaneously, well I know I can, simultaneously want to be healthy and eat chuckles. It's just at the exact same time, I have this deep desire, no Ian, you're trying to be healthy, 
but they look so good. Chuckles on my kryptonite. Or I can simultaneously wanna um, get, get stronger and go and do exercise, but also sit on the couch and watch Netflix. We do, we have these competing desires. The human heart is complex, it's not simple. It doesn't always want what it wants or it wants what it wants in opposition to what it actually wants. And that's the reality of the human heart. And this isn't just things that are, 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 are to do with simple things like donuts or exercise. It also has to do with moral and ethical realities. Moments where we have to decide where, hey, this is what I actually know is good and healthy and life bringing for me and for others. But man, as, as, as I see this thing, there's a selfishness that rises up in me and says, I really, really, really want that, even though it's not good for me or others. And so we can find ourselves in this place where our human desires are, are struggling or, or in competition with each other. And um, in a, the culture that we live, there is no shortage of advice and voices speaking to how it is that we deal with these competing desires of the human heart. How is it that we choose the higher desires and reject the lower desires? And, and we live in a, a, a kind of humanistic, secular society that says, hey, there probably isn't a God and actually humans are pretty incredible. And when we dig down deep and we apply enough diligence and willpower and efforts, we can do pretty good things. And hey, if we, if we just attempt to get 1% better every single day, we can go a long way. Look how far we've come as a society. And that's largely the culture that we live in that believes that humans intrinsically have what it takes to get better. To, to reject lower desires and to, to move towards higher desires in our lives. And there's so many voices out there. I don't know what voices you are listening to, but there's some that I listen to and they, they come from completely different angles. You have someone like Andrew Huberman, who's a Stanford professor who kind of looks at neurobiology and goes, hey, this is how the human brain works and this is what the human brain needs to flourish. And hey, if you eat well, exercise well, kind of give yourself these kinds of habits, you're gonna flourish, you're gonna change, you're gonna grow. And then there's someone like Jordan Peterson who became largely famous first and foremost by, by saying, hey, this is how a person fights back chaos and brings a balance between order and chaos in their life. And he wrote that book, 12 Rules for Life. And, and he said, if you follow these rules, you will get to a place as a human being where you have fought back chaos and brought balance and you have high levels of control in your life over those lesser desires. And then there's someone like David Goggins, who if you don't know him, is basically this guy who, who who runs a marathon like every single day of his life. He's just this hardcore, achieves many physical things, has done some, some incredible physical things in his life, has incredible mental strength. And if you listen to his YouTube channel, when you wake up first in the morning and listen to it, he basically says, you are weak, you are pathetic, get up, get going, do something with your life. That's kind of his strategy. Just shout at yourself and tell yourself how pathetic you are until you've actually done something worthy of not being pathetic. That's kind of his message. And actually, so you've got this range of messages from neuroscience to just stop being pathetic and do something as the solution to how we deal with the conflicting desires in our heart. But actually underlying all of these cultural messages and no matter how wide the spectrum gets, there is one message being told. That with enough diligence, willpower, and dedication, you can do it. You can make it happen. If you are just disciplined enough, you can change. And as we shift now from, from Paul going, 
speaking about gospel and, and the incredible realities of that to how do we live that out? Is Christianity just another message, another voice into a culture that says, hey, just apply some willpower, diligence and discipline and you will get better. You will be able to love the way you're called to love. And if you're here investigating the claims of Christ, you're gonna find out tonight that no, Christianity is a very different message. And actually what, what Christianity would contend for and what Paul's gonna contend for tonight is it's not a message of just do better, just love. But actually, the Holy Spirit is an empowering presence in the believer's life. That there is a source to change and grow that comes from outside of ourselves. And as we look at the empowering presence of the, presence of the Spirit, we're gonna see that he is an, that we're gonna look at the empowering of the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit. And what's so incredible about this message is that if you're here tonight, you might be going, hey, you know what, that message of just do better resonates with me. I, seem, I have the willpower, I have the strength, I have the discipline, I'm doing pretty well, that's great. I don't know if that will last forever. I think it will run dry. And that message of just do better, apply some discipline for anyone who's feeling tired and weary it is an incredibly crushing message. And there'll be people here tonight where if you had to say to them, just do better, they would say, I have tried everything and I'm at the point of giving up. And what's so beautiful is the message that Paul has for us doesn't speak to those who feel like they have the willpower and discipline to get it done. It speaks to the weary and the burdened and the tired and says that God's at work, God is doing something. I'm gonna pray. Father, I ask that as we dive into your text this evening, that you would speak to us. Father, we gather as your people because you have, you have made us your people. Your spirit has been at work in us. Your, your gospel has, has resonated with us and we've come alive to the reality of who you are. We know that we are re rescued. We know that we are forgiven. We know that you have adopted us as sons and daughters, Father. And that's why we gather as your people to hear your word and to encounter a living God who is at work in our lives. And so Father, as we come this evening, I pray that you would speak to us from your word, that you would pour out your spirit and that you would um, bring us into the freedom that you offer. And Father, that we would find an incredible hope for change and transformation in our lives that rests outside of ourselves. Father, for anyone who's arrived here tired, wearied, and burdened, I pray, God, that you would meet us and bring your rest. Amen. Let's look at that first one, the empowering of the Spirit. So verse 16 says, but I say, and we do have a transition moment taking place here. Paul's been talking about freedom. He's made this call, don't use your freedom as an excuse for flesh or yourself or love turned on itself. Use your freedom to love and serve others. And now he's transitioning. He says, but I say. And this transition moment is where Paul is now kind of entering his final stages of his argument against the Judaizers or his opponents in the church of Galatians. who have been saying, hey, yes, the gospel's amazing, but you need to add Torah and, and Jewish distinctives like circumcision to the gospel to truly be made right with God and to truly be the children of God. That's what you need to do. And Paul has been contending against that. And as, as he transitions, he says, but I say, he's going into his last or final kind of argument against this idea that the law needs to be added to the gospel. And everything that, that Paul has been saying up to this moment as he's argued against this way of thinking or these ideas has been incredibly good news. 
It has just been so encouraging. It has been so helpful. And I've felt myself come alive to the gospel again. And I've felt this community come alive to the gospel as we've journeyed through the book of Galatians. That as Paul has said time and time again, the only way that we find right standing before God is through the gospel and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That we have been justified by grace through faith. That, that justified is, is being declared not guilty before God. And that that is an act of grace. That is an act of, that we receive by faith. It is something that God has done. We are justified through the finished work of Jesus. We receive it. And, and, and the wonderful climax of this being justified, of being justified before God is not just that we've been declared not guilty. It's not just that we've been declared not guilty, but it's that we've been adopted. That God didn't just leave us there as not guilty, but He said, you know what? You will be known and you will be loved. I'm your father, you will be my son. I'm your father, you will be my son, you will be my daughter. You once were orphaned and far off, I will now bring you close and near. That's the gospel and that was the beautiful climax of the gospel. And Paul has been continuing and arguing that, that we are born of both promise and spirit, that, that, Abraham, that, that there was a promise made to Abraham all those years back. He said to, to Abraham, he chose Abraham, not because of who Abraham was, but out of his own good pleasure, he moved towards this pagan worshiper. And he said, Abraham, I'm gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna make you a great nation and, and I'm gonna be your God, their God and they will be my people and I will pour out my spirit on them and I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. And we, we've heard how the Jesus and the coming of Jesus and His victory on the cross and His resurrection, His death on the cross and the victory He won there and His resurrection was a fulfillment of that promise. And that at that moment, the church was born, the spirit was poured out in ways that had never been poured out before and that we are now those born of spirit and promise. That God said He would give birth to, to a people that were His, and the church now stands as that people, as a fulfillment of the promise that God made. And what Paul's been contending for is that he, God has done it. God has done something. He has fulfilled His promise. He, the, the gospel and Jesus and His death and His resurrection was the fulfillment of that great promise. And this is such good news. It's not about what we do. It's about what God has done. It's not about the, the, us fulfilling the promise. It's about the fact that God fulfilled His promise. And then he's just added over the last three weeks, this idea of Christian freedom and what it means to be free. But now at this point, as Paul transitions, as Paul starts to lean into this, this I say, but I say, and he starts to lean into this change, there's a question, as he, he moves from justification into how is it that we love? How do we live out this love? He, he knows that there's this question in the, the minds of the Judaizers. He knows that there's this question in, in the people in the church of Galatians rising up. And the question goes like this. But without the law, how do we walk in obedience? Without the law, how do we grow in godliness and Christ-likeness? Without the restraints of the law, how can you call us to love people when it's the very law that restrains us from self and causes us to love or tries to cause us to love? Or we could ask this question in a different way. Where does the power to love come from? Where does the power to love come from? And that's kind of the question in the Galatians' minds at the moment and, and the opponents of, of Paul is, where does the power to love come from? 
And as Paul makes this shift, he's now shifting away from justification and he's shifting into the journey of sanctification. And we've spoken about justification and sanctification earlier on in the series. Justification, as I've said, is that legal declaration that God declares over his people not guilty based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus paid the penalty and therefore we are imputed his righteousness. We are declared righteous like Christ. And we we are not guilty, that's justification. The journey of sanctification is is the, the wonderful journey of partnering with God and becoming who we already are in him. It's this journey of going, I am not guilty. I'm gonna start living like I'm not guilty. I am adopted, I am a son, I am a daughter. I'm gonna start living like a daughter of the king. I'm gonna grow in Christ likeness. I'm gonna grow in godliness. And that is a process that takes place in partnership with God. And it's really important as Paul makes this transition and he starts to, to, to speak to how it is that we move from justification to sanctification, actually live out lives of love and grow in godliness and walk in obedience, that we understand that this transition has taken place. And the reason it's so important is because we can sometimes mix up justification and sanctification. We can sometimes think, hey, I'm walking well with God, I'm doing really well, I'm growing in Christ-likeness, I'm kind of, I'm kind of not... I'm choosing the ways of God. This is going really well and think that that makes us more justified. It doesn't make you more justified. And then there are times where you're walking out that journey and it's not going well. And you know that you're not choosing the ways of God. And the reality and the beauty is that that doesn't affect your justification. You're not less justified. You're not less of a son. You're not less of a daughter. Once justified, always justified. Once adopted, you are eternally a son and a daughter of the Father. And so we get to walk out this journey knowing that, secure in that reality. And we must never mix up our sanctification with our justification. They're two different journeys. And it's so important how we answer this question, but where does the power come from to live out this life, to live out this freedom that Paul's been calling us to? Because we could be stepping back into a law, just love, just love and it becomes a new law. Just do this thing called love. And that's not where Paul goes. That's not what Paul says. As as Paul starts to answer this question that these people have been asking, this is what he says in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And Paul is actually answering a question that he asked all the way back in chapter three, verse three, when he said this, having begun by the Spirit, do you now come to completion by the flesh? And he's answering that question, no, You are born of promise and spirit by the work of God and it is the spirit of God that will bring you to completion. It is the spirit of God that will bring you to completion. And this promise, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh is a promise. Sometimes we can see that as a command, walk by the spirit. It's not actually a command, it's a promise. It's saying, hey, when you walk by the Spirit, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a passive and background person in our life. He's not just a force or an idea or a concept. He is the third member of the Trinity who has presenced himself with believers and in believers and is 
actively empowering them to grow in Christ-likeness and godliness. He is active in making sure that we will be brought to completion. It is incredibly encouraging to know that it is by promise that we've come to saving faith and it is by promise that we will be brought home. From start to finish, it is the work of God in the life of the believer. That is how we can be confident that we will make it to eternity and remain sons and daughters of God because He has made us sons and daughters and He will bring us to completion. And we see the reality that the Holy Spirit is an empowering presence in the believer's life in verse 22 when it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul's not saying the fruits of the Spirit as if these are individual fruit that grow on the Christian's life. No, the fruit, all of this starts to grow on the Christian life. So, so Paul's argument goes like this, no, if you walk by the Spirit, if you yield to the Spirit, if you submit your life to the Spirit, the Spirit will produce the fruit of love in your life. It is the work of the Spirit that empowers us. And you will have victory over the flesh. And I love that word walk because it carries that tension between divine enablement and human responsibility. And that's the journey of sanctification is that God dignifies us and gives us a role to play in our growth towards Christ-likeness and godliness. And, and that role that He gives us and the responsibility that He places on us is to yield, to be led by, to surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives, to walk by the Spirit. You see, the change in the journey of sanctification doesn't happen because I'm now dig deeper, willpower, more discipline, I will make it happen, I will become more like God. No, the journey looks like, Holy Spirit, I need you, I, I, guide me, I'm surrendered to you, I yield to you, I walk with you, lead me, and He produces the fruit in your life because He is an empowering presence in the life of the believer. And so the, the power to love, the power to use our Christian freedom towards service and love to others comes through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in our life as we walk by or in Him, as we yield to Him and allow ourselves to be led by Him. We don't start with promise and spirit and end with human effort. We start with promise and spirit continue in promise and spirit and are brought to completion in promise and spirit by the empowering presence of God Himself. And this really matters, how, how we grasp this and understand this really matters in our, our journey towards godliness and Christ-likeness because there will come a time in your life, many times in the life of a believer, where you're walking along and suddenly you have this, this tension I know that God is calling me, leading me and guiding me towards godliness in this way. But man, there's this, this, this thing over here, love turned on in itself. I really wanna serve self right now. And this thing is so appealing and I wanna move in this direction. How do you respond in that moment? And more importantly, what is your view of God in that moment? 
as you as a believer come to that point of crossroad and you feel the tension of, between flesh and spirit, what do you do? How do you view God? Because I know I used to view God as, as having legalistic tendencies in really unhelpful ways. One of the ways I used to view God at that moment was that He would step back from me in that moment and cross His arms, get up onto His judgment seat and watch me and go, is He gonna choose the morally correct option here? And His gavel would be raised and He'd almost be disappointed if I kind of chose the morally correct way. And then if I didn't choose the morally correct way, He'd bang His gavel and go, that's out of line, that's not who you are. You, you are a justified son, get back in line. That's how some of us, I think, can view God in those moments, standing off as a judge. Or some of us see Him as like a referee on the field. We're on the field, we're playing the game and He's just watching us, waiting to blow His whistle and call foul and penalise us and send us to the sin bin. 10 minutes, go and sort yourself out, get right and you can come back on the field. Some of us view God like that. Some of us view God as, as the coach, who got us onto the field, He picked us for the team and there we are and He's for us, He's kind of for us, He wants us to succeed. But man, He's, he's critiquing us as we play and there's gonna be an aftermatch report. And some of us view God in that moment as a kind of critical spectator who stands back and watches us at this crossroad and goes, man, I've been faithful to this team and you guys, you're just not performing the way you should be performing. What's going on there, Ian? I'm wearing the Ian colors, but man, you're not performing the way you should. And there's this critical voice and our best efforts are just criticized. I think so many of us have these kind of views of God as we walk out this journey of sanctification. So we walk out this journey of growing in Christ-likeness. And if you view God in any of those ways, it is wrong. It is not how God is in those moments. Paul's whole point here is that the Holy Spirit is an empowering presence in the believer's life. That He is with us, that He is for us, that He is a loving Father. And in that moment where we come to that crossroad, He is not far off, He is near and He is coaching us and leading us and guiding us and placing godly desire on us and empowering us in very real ways to succeed and to walk more in Christ-likeness and godliness. And when He fails, He offers us His grace and He reminds us that we're beloved sons, that we're beloved daughters, and that His Son died for us and rescued us and redeemed us, and He reminds us of our identity. And He calls us back by His presence and His power, and He goes, I still love you, my son. I still love you, my daughter. You are still mine. You are still not guilty. Now let's keep walking this journey. That's how God deals with us. That's the God that we serve. It makes a huge difference to how we live out our faith and our joy levels. Let's look at the desires of the Spirit. And Paul goes on to, to kind of unpack the battle that, that we feel in this life because he knows that the battle is real, that the tension is real between flesh and spirit. And he says this in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. 
And Paul unpacks the reality of this, these two realities, that there is the realm, there is the sphere of flesh. And we've got the arena of flesh. And what we've, we've unpacked through the book of Galatians is flesh is everything opposed to God, opposite to God. Human desire and effort to find right standing with God, independent of Jesus, active rebellion to God, that is all fleshly and things of the flesh. And Paul is, is being very clear that the, the flesh is opposed to everything of the Spirit. And it's not just that the flesh rejects the things of God and rejects the things of spirit. The, the flesh is actually actively opposed. The flesh wants to take people, communities, and creation and cause all of those things to walk in opposition to, the, to godliness and to God and reject Him completely and walk in an opposite direction. It is completely and utterly opposed. This is not an agree to disagree kind of moment where you you spirit people live over there, you flesh, no, the flesh is not satisfied, it is not neutral. It wants to take people, communities, and ultimately creation and move it in the opposite direction to God and cause things to reject God and move away from Him. And then Paul goes, and then there's the spirit, the third member of the, the Trinity, the very God Himself, who is opposed to the spirit, I mean, to the flesh. That he's, again, not just agree to disagree. Hey, I'm gonna be neutral about this. No, the Spirit of God is moving in people and communities and in creation to cause us to come alive to the reality of who He is and what He's done and what is true in this world. And He is trying to rescue and He is, He is, not trying, He is rescuing and redeeming people's communities and creation to walk in the opposite direction to the flesh. These things are completely incompatible. They are on completely different journeys. They are heading in completely different ways, which is why Paul says this, that these things keep you from doing the things you wanna do, that they have an intention, they have a purpose. They're not neutral. And their purpose is to keep you from the other, the spirit from the flesh and the flesh from the spirit. That's their purpose. Shrana says it like this. Paul gives the reason why the flesh and spirit resist one another i.e. so that the desires of the flesh will not become a reality and so that the desires of the Spirit will not be realised. With the coming of the Spirit, a new eschatological reality has dawned. What he's saying with eschatological reality is that when, when the Kingdom of God broke in, there is now a new reality, a new trajectory. And that new reality, that new trajectory is the trajectory of the Spirit and the ways of the Spirit. There is now an opposition to the things of the flesh. And he is actively opposed to the flesh. And so the believer now has these new desires in their heart, not for the things of the flesh, but for the things of God. And this battle plays out in three arenas. It plays out in the heart of the believer. It plays out corporately and it's playing out in creation. You see it in the heart of the believer that now suddenly you come alive to the reality of who God is. You've been rescued and you've been redeemed and the Spirit is now placing very strong desires in your heart towards godliness and Christ-likeness. The Spirit is drawing you and calling you and pulling you away from everything that is fleshly in the world and everything that is fleshly in you. And so you feel this tension and this fight at times as those who live in this world and those who still have indwelling sin. We feel this tension towards flesh and the battle rages in the heart of the believer. But as this
And these temptations and these urges are real. And the battle can get intense at times. And Paul's not saying that that battle doesn't exist. He's saying that that battle does exist in the heart of a believer. But the Spirit is now at work, calling us and giving us incredible desire towards God. And then as we battle this out, it spills out into the corporate space, which is actually what Paul's real concern is. Because last week he ended off saying, hey guys, don't devour each other. Use your freedom to love each other and serve each other. Don't devour each other. And then later on in verse 25, in today's text, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul's going, hey, if you're not winning this internal battle between flesh and thing by walking in the Spirit, it's gonna spill out into the corporate space. And as it spills out into the corporate space, you're gonna live, it's gonna become a fleshly corporate space. This community is gonna become toxic and broken. And then we also see this battle taking place in creation. That the kingdom of God has broken into creation at the coming of Jesus and that it is marching towards restoring people, communities and creation back to himself till one day Jesus will return and wrap up human history and restore all things and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is who he said he is. But for the time being, the church represents the kingdom of God. And as we walk by and yield to the Spirit, there is a promise that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh and we will become a community that loves and serves each other and is empowered to love and serve each other in ways that no other community in the world is is empowered to do because every other community in the world is dependent on your willpower, your discipline and your diligence to love each other. Just love. But no, as Christ follows, as the church, we have the empowering presence of the creator of the universe, working in us and through us to make us a city shining on a hill. And people should walk into this room as we walk by the Spirit and experience a love that is unconditional and full of the grace, the mercy, and the kindness of God that looks different and feels different to anything else they've experienced. And we'll become, a be- we'll become the beautiful community, not by our effort, not by our striving, not by our works, but by the yielding and following and walking in step with the Spirit. And here Paul kind of deals the last death blow to this argument around needing the law to become a loving people. He says this, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And the argument's starting to become quite clear now. See, last week he spoke about the reality of how the The Torah is, the whole law, the whole Torah is summed up by the love command. Jesus himself speaks of the the law being summed up by this command to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and love people as you would yourself. And Paul points back to that in Galatians 5.14 when he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. And Paul's contending and Paul's arguing and saying, the whole law is actually summed up by this command to love each other, but it has been proven completely incapable of making us love each other. There is no power in the law to actually love people. It just condemned you, it was just a guardian. It just restrained sin and revealed sin, but it actually had no power. It was completely impotent in its ability to produce people of love. But the Spirit, 
as you yield and walk and live by the Spirit of God, the promise is that He will produce the fruit of love in your life. And therefore, we don't need the law. There's no power in the law. We need the Spirit of God, the only person who can cause a human heart to desire not self, but others, and the flourishing of others. This is what Gordon Fee says about it. Thus, as believers walk by the Spirit, as we walk by the Spirit, i.e. with the Spirit's empowering, they are subject neither to the flesh's bidding, we're not controlled by the flesh anymore, nor to the law's enslaving. We are both free from flesh and the law. You see, this isn't an equal fight. You see, sometimes we can think, hey, this battle rages, and Paul's main argument is actually not the battle. Sometimes we can get stuck on the battle and think that Paul's main argument in this text is how the flesh and the spirit war. No, Paul's main argument in this text is that if you walk by the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. These are not equal opponents. The flesh is in the lightweight division, and the Holy Spirit's in the heavyweight division. Which is why there's a promise that if we walk by the Spirit, we will always have victory, we will have victory over the flesh. Because these are not equal opponents. It's kind of like New Zealand versus South Africa. <laughs> not equal opponents. You can see I'm the critical spectator. Good thing I'm not God, okay. And we see it again in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see what Paul's saying? These are not equal opponents. At the cross of Christ, Jesus won a real victory. It wasn't a pretend victory. It wasn't just an idea of victory. He defeated flesh. He defeated sin. It is dead. We are fighting a defeated enemy. It is not of equal might and power to our Creator and our Savior. The beauty of the cross and the resurrection is that it declares that we are fighting a defeated enemy. The flesh is defeated in our lives. And yes, at times it can feel incredibly powerful, but we need to remind ourselves it is a defeated enemy. Christ is victorious and the Spirit is far superior in power. How do we apply this to our actual walk? <laughs> How do we actually apply this to our walk? And this is where it gets tricky because I've seen people create division and difficulty for believers. And the kind of two sides I see of this debate is, and, the, and this is where I tend towards as a bit more melancholy and introspective, is that I resonate with the fight. I resonate with the, the, the tension of flesh in my life and the call of the Spirit on my life and I can find myself living in this space of going, oh, this is so hard, the fight is so real, this is so intense, can I have victory? And I find myself here and, and then you have this group of people over here and I know people who find themselves here where they're like, hey, the fight's not that bad. The, the Spirit of God is at work. He is powerful. I have victory and there's a triumphalism over here. And you're like, and these guys look back at those guys and go, do you even know God? Like, what's going on there? 
And then these guys stand over here and they look at those guys and go, there's no fight, there's no tension. Is the Spirit of God even in you? Are you just all flesh? What's going on over there? And then we take those, those dispositions toward to the text and we go to what Paul is saying here and we go, it is, Paul is speaking about this or Paul is speaking about that. No, Paul's not speaking about either of those things. Paul's saying, hey, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh and he who's in you is stronger than he who's in the world and the, the flesh is a superior power, the Spirit of God is a superior power to the flesh. And if you find yourself in the fight, walk by the Spirit. And if you find yourself winning the fight, have no pride or reason to boast other than the Spirit and keep walking in the Spirit. It speaks to both in all situations and actually Christ follows through their lives will find themselves in times of triumph and victory over, over the flesh and at times in their lives, they'll find themselves in the fight and really struggling. But what I do wanna say to people in this camp as one who often spends time here is there is no room for defeatism. There is no room for defeatism. And one of the greatest victories or, or simple truths that helped me have, start to have victory over, over the flesh and the fight of sin in my life was the realization that because the Spirit of God is in me, I don't have to sin. I'm not forced to. The flesh is not stronger than the Spirit. I am not defeated. I serve a victorious King and I can fight this thing by walking in the Spirit, not by my effort. And another lesson I needed to learn in my fight was actually the moment of surrender. I don't have what it takes, but He does. Not try harder, walk, depend, yield, surrender to the work of the Spirit. And for anyone who finds himself here going, hey, my Christian life is full of joy and victory. Never let that be a reason for boasting in yourself. Never let that be a reason for pride. It is because the Spirit is at work in your life. And then finally, let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. Now the works of the spirit of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's quite a list. But I love what Paul says there. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And in that moment, he's kind of demystifying what it means to walk by the Spirit. You know, sometimes we can over-spiritualize what it means to walk by the Spirit. It's that thing when you wake up in the morning. God, is it the green cup or the blue cup today where the glory of God will be revealed from my cup of coffee? God, do I walk up my door left or right to encounter that person you want me to meet? God, and it can become this agonizing thing of trying to discern in any given moment, Spirit, lead me, guide me. And we can get super hyper-spiritual. That's not what Paul's talking about. What Paul is saying, hey, is your life yielded to the Spirit? Are you being led by God? Are you walking by the Spirit? Have you given yourself to His Word and His presence, to prayer, community, and is your disposition of your heart one towards God and His work in your life? That's actually what he's talking about. He goes, hey, you know, it's evident what is fleshly. It is evident what is of the Spirit. 
And he goes on to speak about this list of the flesh. And I think that as Christ followers, we can sometimes go, wow, orgies, I'm not doing that. I must be walking by the Spirit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know. I've got you know, that sexual immorality thing, I'm, I'm not there. And it's interesting because Paul speaks on this list of about three to four things, depending on how you place them, that have to do with sexual purity. And the fact that they're on this list means that Paul believes that sexual purity really matters. It's a part of, of walking in the spirit. And if, if there isn't sexual purity, it's, it's, it's fleshly. And we, it, it's important. And we spoke to that last year in our sexuality series. And if that's something you're grappling with in general, I'd encourage you to go and listen to that where we really dealt with the, how, uh, how sex has a profound power to form and shape us towards God or away from God. A, perform, a profound power to bring life or death in our lives. But what's interesting is only three or four things on this list. And I think so often as Christ followers, we can let ourselves off. But actually the things on this list have to do with interpersonal relationship and the health of this community. Paul's grabbed most of them, the majority of the things, over eight of these things have to do with the one another reality. And Paul is actually contending for the health of the Galatians church, saying stop devouring each other, stop envying each other. I don't know about you, but when I read this list carefully, I see a lot more of the fleshly parts of this list in my life than I like to admit. Things like in enmity and strife. Strife, which is bitter conflict or unforgiveness. Oh, I'm not, I'm not in bitter conflict. You are if you're not forgiving someone. Are you, are you being unforgiving? That's fleshly. Jealousy, wanting what others have. Have you spent any time on Instagram recently? Fits of anger. I'm a parent. It's my disposition. <laughs> Rivalries, competitiveness burst, birthed out of selfish ambition. Dissension, division. Choosing self so much that you actually divide and break relationships, community and community. Envy, a lack of contentment, or a resentful longing. I see those things in me, I see those things in us at times. Christ follower, is, is, is your life marked by healthy relationships being birthed out of your love for others? because you're walking by the presence of the Spirit and He's producing the fruit of love in your life? Or if you look at your life, is it broken relationships, envy, anger, selfish ambition, unforgiveness? Because those, that's not of the Spirit, that's of the flesh. And as we walk by the Spirit, these things should not exist in us and in this community. And it really matters, which is why Paul says this, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I often skip over the warning verses. I'm like, oh, but grace. <laughs> yeah, 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 but grace. Oh, he's gonna carry me home. He's gonna bring it to completion. But Paul has been speaking about the beauty of the gospel. He's been speaking about how the Spirit will bring you to completion. And he doubles down on warning in this moment. 
He says, you know what, church, Galatians, I've warned you about this before. I've warned you about this fleshly activity. I'm gonna warn you again. And he's putting on his warning voice and he's contending for them. I had this terrible parenting moment where I was dropping Layla off at school. And as I was walking, I had Nathan, he's two and a half years old. I had Layla and Nathan, we're about to cross a really busy road. It's, near, it's in Newlands, near Saks. And in that time of the morning, it's just moms who are tired and grumpy and they're not watching. And I've almost been driven over, and dad, sorry, let me say that. And, <laughs> and they've, they've almost driven over me as I walked across the zebra crossing. So I don't like that road. And so I grabbed Leila's hand and I said, guys, we're gonna cross the road, hold my hand. And Nathan just bolted. And there were cars coming and he just bolted across the road. And I tried to grab him, his hoodie and I scraped the back of his neck and I missed and he just made it across the road. And luckily these cars just stopped. I was, I, my heart rate went through the roof. I literally had Layla up by one arm running across the road. <laughs> I dropped her down. I grabbed Nathan. I picked him up. I said, you will die. You will die. Uh, he didn't understand my words, but I wanted him to understand my passion. I wanted him to get it. I was like, you will die. You will be squashed. You will be killed. You will die. And I wasn't holding back. And everything in me is like, boy, you need to get this. You will die. I wanted to put the fear of God in him so that he sees a road and runs in the opposite direction. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, if you walk by the flesh, you will die. You will die. And you didn't die in this moment, but if those cars hadn't stopped, you would be dead and I would no longer have a relationship with you. And he's saying, hey, if you, if you walk in fleshy ways and choose fleshy ways, there's a real danger there. And again, commentators are split between, when he says you won't inherit the kingdom, does he mean the kingdom now and and walking in the joy and the peace and the reward and the gifts and the goodness of the kingdom now? Does it mean you kind of step out of that and you, you start to live in that space where God has to warn you and contend for you? Is it the now present reality? Or is it the eternal reality of the kingdom that you won't inherit the kingdom and be separated from the Father? And I found Michael Eaton so helpful. He said, it's both. That's why they're separated. That's why commenta- it's both because the kingdom is both now and not yet. We both inherit it now and wait to inherit it fully. And what Paul is saying is for the, for the believer who continuously chooses the flesh or yields to the flesh instead of yielding to the Spirit, you are stepping out of the goodness and the joy and the peace of the kingdom. And I thought God put a real burden on my heart for prodigals today that there are people and potentially people in this room this evening where the Spirit of God is in you. You are a son, you are a daughter. And the Spirit of God has put deep desires in you for godliness, for Christ-likeness, and deep desires for the Father's affection. And for whatever reason, you started running. And when he said, take my hand, you bolted across the road. And what he would say to you this evening is, Come home. I I love you, you're my son, you're my daughter. Why are you choosing the flesh when you can live in the goodness of the kingdom and the joy of the kingdom and the peace of the kingdom? 
And I'm not the judge, I'm not the referee, I'm your father. And Jesus laid down his life for you. The work is finished and the spirit is in you. Walk again by the spirit. Respond to those desires in your heart. Come home. He will embrace you. He will embrace you. I had dinner the other night with a couple and they said five years ago, if you told us that we were in church, we would have laughed. It was laughable. We basically built our marriage on the fact that we would never be Christians. And one of them said, I'm a prodigal. And one day the Spirit of God just started calling me home, gently calling me home. And he found himself in Christian community again. And now him and his wife were like, only by God, only by God, only by the Spirit of God. And then there's some of us who need to step into the kingdom for the very first time. And the Spirit of God is waking you up to the things of Him and the reality of Him. And you're coming alive to things that you were never alive to before. That's the work of God. And His invitation is to continue to walk in His leading and to surrender to the Jesus and put your faith in His finished work and to trust Him and he will justify you, and he will adopt you, and you will become a new creation, and he will give you the identity of beloved son and daughter. And the work that he starts in you, he will bring to completion. I hope you hear that this isn't a message of try harder, do more, be more disciplined. This is a message of yielding to the Spirit. I just wanna pray for us quickly. Father, I pray that as we respond to this message, I pray for some specific people. Father, for prodigals, I pray that they would know that you long to welcome them with open arms this evening, that you love them, that they are still your sons and daughters. Father, I pray for those who are burdened by the fight, who feel weary and tired by the fight, who feel defeated. I pray, Father, that by your Spirit right now, you would bring hope that he who is in them is stronger than he who is in the world. And that you are at work, that you, Jesus, are an empowering person in their lives and that they can hope again and trust again. And Father, so often it is when we come to the end of ourselves that we can truly surrender to the work of the Spirit in our lives. So I pray that there would be people surrendering freshly to your work, Father. And Father, for those of us who are walking in victory but pride, I pray that you would remind us that our only boast is you, Jesus. And any victory in our lives is because of the empowering presence of the Spirit of God. God, would you produce in us victory over the flesh and cause us to be a community full of the fruit of the Spirit that stands out as a beautiful oasis in this world. Amen.